0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kokoro Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have the triumphant return of Dr. John Campione. He is a chiropractor based out of Chicago and a rock tape instructor and the host of the Rock Tape Podcast. We had a really good conversation based on a post uh, that he posted on Instagram a few weeks ago about what do you wish that you would have learned in school? It's really fun and I'm going to jump right into it. So without further ado, Dr. John Campione. Post uh might have been a couple weeks ago now. I don't know. It's I'm in the the post holiday chaos of where nobody yeah. booked, nobody booked in December and now everybody's booking in January. Mm-hmm. And so, um but you were talking about what the most important thing is that you learned outside of school. And I really yeah. wanted to uh get you on the podcast and uh kind of
1: unpack a lot of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good question. So,
0: yeah, I think so too, and I think it's really interesting because I think outside of school is where you learn the most, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. where um, a lot of my information has come from, and then the more courses that I take, the more p- people that I'm pointed to, and, you know, almost to the point where I don't really care what they're teaching. I just want to go see how they're teaching it and what they're talking about, right? So, sure, um, yeah. So I want to talk about the first thing that we should unpack is uh, the joint by joint approach. So that was the first thing that once I got out of massage school, I started kind of researching stuff and came across uh great cook and uh, he um, and somebody else came up with, I think it was Michael Boyle, right?
1: Yeah, it was Mike Boyle.
0: Yeah. And uh, came up with the joint by joint approach. And then that really kind of, so when I figure out these things, it re- literally feels like my brain is kind of restructuring around this new idea. And yeah. so, yeah, like the the best example is the knee is the unfortunate joint in between your ankle and your hip. And so yeah. it's either yeah. one of those. So let's yeah. unpack that a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, uh, just a little bit of background too for, for anybody listening. Um, I think I was just looking, I pulled up the post. That there's a, a reason why I asked the question. I actually just became a full-time instructor at national university so i'm teaching chiropractic students within the curriculum and i'm teaching functional rehab so i have answers to that question but the question i asked was what do you wish you learned in school um when you were in school and it's it really was such an open-ended question and i think it almost becomes disparaging in a way when you think about it because people will be like oh I didn't learn this I didn't learn that is there, It's what we didn't learn kind of thing too, and right. we don't appreciate what we did learn, but you know the purpose of that came from what is everybody doing now that you wish you knew way, way back when? The joint by Joan approach is really one of those things, and, um, you know the reason I asked the question is because I want to structure my class so that my students feel confident at least because that's the best I can do is at least make them feel confident that they can treat people. In their internships or then right out of school, at least have some tools in their toolbox. And the joint by joint is a big uh, part of my uh, of my syllabus. Actually, I'm going to talk about it extensively here in a week or two. Um, the joint by joint approach is so fascinating because of its simplicity. I think, and it, it in and of itself is actually a template. So we have to understand that not everybody fits into this template. But the joint by joint approach, as you know, Jesse, is basically that. Every joint can be classified as either a stability joint or a mobility joint, and they're based on their primary needs. So, a lot of times you can flip that and say, Well, well, how are joints typically dysfunctional? So, like the ankle, for instance, its primary need is mobility. It's classified as a mobility joint because oftentimes when It becomes dysfunctional, Um, and this is outside of trauma. This is when chronic dysfunction comes on or some sort of regional independence occurs that that changes other areas. It becomes stiff and immobile, so we need to provide it with better mobility, too. And then we start this sequence of uh, interchanging mobility, stability, mobility, stability. So you, you mentioned it right off the bat. The knee is a stability joint in between two mobility joints. We can say the same thing about the hip, though it is in between two stability joints. So as we start to uh, move up the chain or down the chain, however, you, it really depends on where you start, I guess, whether you move up or down, that is the sequence that we follow and the template that we use because this is where we have the tendency to get dysfunctional. So a knee tends to need stability, a hip tends to need mobility, the trunk tends to need stability, and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a great concept that I do wish is taught more in school. And and I don't know other schools, they might be teaching it quite a bit uh, as far as I know, but it's a really good template to introduce movement and patterns to a student population and especially a student population that might not be familiar with any rehabilitative gurus or anybody who talks about this stuff all the time. You know, I have plenty of students that are going to different weekend seminars. They're seeing Craig Cook seminars, they're seeing Mike Boyle seminars, but I have a lot of students that are, You know, they're more in the internal med side of things. They want to work on people for internal disorders. Um, And they're taking this class and they're scoffing like, I'm not going to do rehab. Well, I think you should. And this is a good way to kind of start it out. It's a really good introduction.
0: And so coming out of massage school, that uh, education was very remedial at best. So, Mm -hmm. you know, their philosophy on is like, if the low back hurts, then work on the low back. And if it's not getting better, then go deeper into the tissues because sure. you're obviously not hitting the right stuff, right? And yeah. then, so then yeah. as soon as I got a hold of that joint by joint approach, I was like, hold on. So uh, uh, I'm working with CrossFit athletes and they do a workout that has 150 squats in it and then their low back hurts. So the reason why their low back is hurting is because they don't have hip mobility and then their low back starts to add as a hinge joint, and that was really important for me to figure out, right? Because then you're, then you start working on the right stuff in order to make the different stuff work better.
1: Yeah, and I I kind of came up in healthcare in 2002 in the physical therapy realm. Actually, I was a tech, and in the physical therapy realm, um, as I was taught, was you know something is injured because it's weak. So it was um, resistance exercises to strengthen an area, but it, like you had said, it's very, very focused on that. Now, as a chiropractor in chiropractic school, you know, chiropractors traditionally are trained, well, if something is bothering you, adjust it. And it's focused on the spine specifically as well. So if it is the spine, manipulate it. If it is the hips or lower extremity, that's related to the lumbar spine. So manipulate the lumbar spine. So it's a lot about expanding our thought and really trying to bring our thought process away from just, you know, our foundational training. And, you know, it goes back to the question is, you know, what do you wish you learned in school? It's hard to teach all this stuff. I think sometimes too, because a lot of it can be really esoteric. Um, There are different realms, PT, massage, chiropractic as well too. So, you know, where, where's our wheelhouse, you know, what's our lane, What do we stay in? Are we, are we, I'll just kind of learning the same thing. So I think that that's where that uh, comes into play sometimes too. But you're right. I think it's a matter of just expanding our thought process and realizing that there, there is no one answer to anything, essentially.
0: Right. And so compounding on that a little bit, I think where the Rock Tape Education specifically does a really good job is pointing out, hey, this is a really important concept. This is where we learned it. Go learn it. You know what I mean? So it's like one of those, it's, I think it's one of those things where once you get out of school, you're not done learning. You just keep doing stuff. And so some of us um, are crazier than others because I didn't really value education until I got out of massage school and then started to realize the potential that I could have as a healer and helping people, the more knowledge that I have. Right. So the bigger the knowledge base you have, the more people that you can help. And so I think a lot of the education courses that I picked are ones where I have clients where I'm like, why isn't this person getting better? There's an obvious gap in my understanding that I need to close. And then so I pick these people, those people, follow these people, they show me to that person. You know what I mean? And so yeah. but then I become obsessed and spend way too much money and it's crazy.
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> as as much as I hate cliches, it's that old cliche of like this is why it's called being in practice, because you're right. practicing. All the time, too. And, um, you know, for, you, you mentioned Rock Tape, just, you know, speaking from uh, rock, rock Tape as a Rock Tape representative, we, we do take a lot from other people and we in, enjoy that. We, we don't try, you know, we make up our, our own, makeup sounds so bad, we develop our own things and own thought process and concepts and put a lot of things together, but that's based on the knowledge that we learned um, as a group from different places you know I just got back from the instructor summit um, with uh, rock tape and you know we had you know 50 to 60 I'm not good at counting so maybe it was less or more but yeah. um, we had a lot of instructors there and we all just started talking about the new stuff and concepts and refining different things that we teach and everybody would bring in their knowledge oh this guy says this about that um, you know several times I'm saying to myself oh god I didn't I didn't know that and you get frantic and you start writing down I like, a research this person, and I got to look up this information, stuff like that, it starts to get into almost an anxiety-inducing situation where you're like, oh, God, there's so much I don't know. Yeah. But you've been 10 years out of practice, and you're like, well, wait, how do I not know anything? I've been doing it for so long. The motto we have in Rock Tape is uh, and, "and Cora Imparo, which, which translates to I'm still learning. Right. And it's uh, attributed to Michelangelo when he was 84, yeah. So someone like that with his career up into 84 career, his life when he was 84 is saying, I'm still learning. And right. that, that's really what it is, is you, you're never stopping learning. And I think in school, we have to understand that. And I don't think that's instilled in students very much in school. I don't think it's outright said or even outright implied, but I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand that when you're in school, you're getting a foundation you're getting yeah. kind of the beginning, you're building the foundation of what you're going to go on and learn. Right. So, you know, I find, I find it as a uh, obligation as a teacher on my part to introduce them to as many things as I possibly can that relates to the coursework. So, you know, I don't want to teach them proprietary techniques that I've been trained in because number one, that's kind of unethical and from a, um, A proprietary IP standpoint, it's not legal from what I know. I I wouldn't want to get in trouble doing that either. But I think a lot of students being introduced to different things and their concepts of this group versus that group actually is very beneficial. Because then I can say at the end, is like, look, this is their thought process, their concept. If you liked this, this is something you should really pursue a little bit further with the weekend courses of this group and, and, and what have you. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing is to introduce different things that I've learned and, and liked throughout the the uh, my career and, and been able to, uh, you know, show people like, hey, this is beneficial and here's why. If you like it, go for it. If you don't like it, let's find something else that you can do.
0: Right. And so then you look at all these other people and I say this a lot on just about every podcast, but there's people that you look up to. And you're like, God, how does that person know all this shit? Like <laughs> like, Perry Nicholson's a perfect example. Like that guy's forgot more important information than that I need to know. You know what I mean? So I rely on him pretty heavily just kind of following all the paths that he's going, mainly because he's constantly researching and constantly looking and figuring out all this new stuff that works before anybody else kind of catches on to it.
1: Perry and I are geeks. So we both sat uh, in the front row at the instructor summit and I, I sat next to him and I can't tell you how many times I would be peeking over at his notebook going, what's, what's he writing down? What's his thought process right. you now? What did yeah. he catch that I didn't or something like that?
0: Yeah. And then, so when I took Primal Movement Chainsawing last year, he uh, brought up he was gonna show us some book that he was reading, and he brought up his Kindle list, and I started taking pictures. Oh my god, <laughs> that's what he's reading. That's what I need. <laughs> um, and just to be a fly on the wall at that instructor summit. Oh my god,
1: that would have been amazing. I just, you would enjoy it a lot. I mean, I, I geek out when I'm there all, all the time myself. So
0: right. Um, and then so another thing that I kind of wanted to unpack that I thought that was really important was um, the anatomy trains. And just the fascia lines and the way that the body works just in general.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a big thing I want to introduce. And it goes back to just foundational. There's so much information now about fascia and fascia as the tissue by itself, but anatomy trains to me, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way anyway, I think it's such a perfect basis, uh, for learning or being introduced into fascia. I think it is a very good, like, um, introductory, uh, concept to look at because fascia by itself doesn't necessarily have to involve discussion about the muscles that it's associated with, right. but anatomy trains is about myofascial lines. So you get a, uh, a thought process and a student population that's very used to this muscle, that muscle, etc., etc. And, and then you say, well, forget about the muscles. Let's talk about this, this crazy tissue that does all this stuff. You could lose them. Yeah. Anatomy Trains bridges that gap, for me at least, and, and it introduces, okay, you know all those muscles that, right here? All these muscles here, fascia, this connective tissue that I will talk about how amazing this is in a second, connects all these muscles. So when you talk about this, this muscle's anatomical action, there's so much more to how a human being moves than just what the anatomy textbook says, and it's because of fascia. So Anatomy Trains is so cool and I, I think really needs to be in everybody's curriculum to introduce someone to fascia. Because you know, like it or not, believe it or not, a lot of people still don't know about fascia, right. um, despite all the amazing, cool research that's coming out with it as well too. So Anatomy Trains really does, for me, help introduce it to a lot of my students who aren't familiar with everything. Because I could, I could put someone through just regular joint uh, evaluation, and hey, let's take a look at what happens with the, the hip inflection. And then when I straighten the knee, what happens? You get less hip flexion, right? Okay, stand up, touch your toes. That's a very similar pattern to when you were on your back and I just moved your leg like that. The reason why you get limited range of motion in your, in your hip flexion when your knee's extended is it's a term called passive insufficiency, but it's basically because as the hamstrings cross the knee, they lengthen and then you're asking the, uh, the hamstrings as they cross the, uh, the hip to lengthen as well too, there's not enough give to happen because both sides are going to be lengthened. Now let's move away from the knees and the hips and talk about it all the way up in the torso. When you're sitting up, you actually can lose certain range of motions because all these lines go all the way up in your head and it starts to really open people's eyes up and go, the best part is when people go, "That is that why I hurt my hip last year when I did that that one thing? And when people really associate it with their own bodies, then then they really understand it too. And that's why I love teaching anatomy trains is because it really does kind of bridge that gap from just a purely mechanical muscular standpoint to this is what fascia does. And this is how everything's connected. So I can't just look at one local area by itself.
0: Right. And so that's, uh, goes kind of in, in conjunction with the joint by joint approach where you can start to determine why this person's knee hurts because it might not be the ankle or the hip. It might be the opposite shoulder. And then you can, That's an easy way to explain to the client or the patient why that is. And then I have all those posters up on my wall so I could be like, you see, this is the spiral line. This is how everything connects. This is how you walk. And this is how everything functions. So if you have a dysfunction here, then that translates to this spot. And then it all starts to kind of make sense to them. And then the way that I explain it is your brain doesn't see in individual muscle groups or individual body parts it sees in movement and this is the easiest way to show them how the brain sees in that movement pattern
1: yeah yeah and i mean you you said it there with the brain as well too that also gives people um a really good introduction into looking at the neurological aspect because the way i see it personally is like you have a very mechanical muscle does uh, xyz the anatomy trains the myofascial lines connect all these muscles that leads you into a joint by joint approach that leads you into fascia fascia then jumps into neurology because of how richly involved it is with your neurology too and then you start getting people like me who are like researching eye movements and how that affects the way that my ankle range of motion goes so i think it just opens up that box for everybody to just be like wow there's so much more that i need to learn i think a lot of people should really understand and i get on myself for this too is There's no way you can know everything. And it's not that someone, there's someone out there who knows more than you. There's someone out there who knows something that you don't, and you need to learn that from them. And, you know, rightfully so, you might know something that they don't. It's not about a better or worse. It's not about a more or less. It's about different. You know different things than, than what I do, and I know different things than what you do. It's different perspectives, basically. So people shouldn't get down on themselves, oh, this is far in practice, and I should be doing this, that, and this. You know, More than anything, if you're getting your patients better, that's what you need to be doing. Right. But a lot of times, too, it's just, well, go to those people who know this stuff and learn from them. If you, if you don't know it, go learn from them. I learn as much from my students as they do for me, honestly, because right. a lot of them are, are actively being uh, involved with other stuff.
0: Right, and so that's probably that's one of the things that I love—the diversity of the Rock Tape instructors and why I keep getting you guys all on the podcast. You have different, <laughs> you have different views on everything and how everything works, and and yeah. you so each person that's on the Rock Tape staff goes through their own different rabbit holes and then brings all of that to the table at those instructor summits, and then you yeah. know then there's like for some reason Steve Capobianco, is your fearless leader, just knows everything, and so. I
1: where he He's the most modest person and the nicest guy in the world. And he, people will say this to him, it's like, Steve, I can't believe you know so much. And he'll just kind of brush it off, like, oh, I don't know everything. And he'll, he'll, he'll reference some, some, uh, somebody involved in research. And they're like, I wish I knew what they knew. <laughs> he's just like so yeah. modest. He is so brilliant because he reads everything. And yeah. that's kind of the thought process I, I think everybody should try to have. I say that because I try to do that. It's not always realistic. You know, sometimes it's just hard to, to, to be able to, to read everything and keep up with everything too. Right. But if you just keep your eyes and ears open, you can really discover a lot of stu- stuff as well too. That's where I, I started to develop the, the term uh, for myself, a good skeptic. Yeah. Skeptic almost became uh, the idea of, um, you know, you you, com- you immediately like denounce something if you're skeptical of it. And I don't think that's true. I don't know the true, the correct uh, absolute definition of it, but to me, somebody who's skeptical wants to know more information. So I always tell people be a good skeptic. You could learn, you could hear about some crazy, crazy like energy medicine thing or something like that. Ask more questions. If the okay. questions aren't being answered sufficiently or you're just not getting it, maybe it's not for you. You know, and it goes back to what I said if you're getting your patients better, that's the first step too. So, I mean, hey, you might find that you three years later might jump into something uh, and you're like, I never would have done this, you know, three years ago, but now I'm doing it and I see the value in it and I understand why it works and it's get my people get better. So, you know, go for it. Just be a, be a good skeptic, you know, right. seek out more knowledge.
0: And that, the a perfect example of that is when I was um, in college learning anatomy and physiology and they were talking to me about the women's reproductive system. And I was, why do I need to give a shit about that? I do not care. This is not going to help me fix somebody's rotator cuff injury in the future. (laughs) But now that, like, later on, like you said, (laughs) three years later, I started to research all that stuff. And, like, if a woman is not having her reproductive cycle, that's a big deal, and you need to address it. Absolutely. I'll give you a great
1: example kind of on the same plane. Um, uh, A lot of people don't know this, is that chiropractors, factors curriculum is on par and it t- and actually has more class hours than medical uh, schools than MDs and DOs in the United States and a lot of that has to do with our technique courses but we actually have more hours in anatomy uh, and uh, nutrition and technique um, whereas MDs have a little bit more on the pathological microbiology side but we study pathology micro all that stuff I actually was trained in um in uh, uh, digital rectal exams, proctology exams, and gynecological exams. I knew I was never going to do those in practice, but it was part of my curriculum. It was something to learn. So I had to go through and and do the exams. I had to to show that I was sufficient in performing the exam and how I interacted with patients and my knowledge of what I was doing as well, too. Um, But I I knew I was never going to use it. and, And I guarantee you right now, I've never used it. Uh, yeah, I've never used it in in practice cuz I'm more of a movement rehab guy, but it was something I could learn. Um do I have anything that directly relates to it? I learned that then that I can use now? No, not necessarily, but it was part of my curriculum and you never know in a year or so it might come up where I'm like, oh, I remember from that study that something's something could be related here, so maybe I refer uh, a, a female patient to their gynecologist for some reason. You know, you never know when this stuff is going to be necessary or needed. So knowledge is knowledge. Really, is power. And I know people don't like that that uh, that uh, analogy sometimes, but it really is. It has right. power. I should say, knowledge has power.
0: Right. So now let's uh, untack the nervous system. So there's a lot going on in there, and I remember, uh, I. My wife was being coached by um, an OPEX coach named Michael Ban, and she was having some hamstring tightness. And he was like, "Oh, let's do some nerve gliding." I'm like, "What is nerve gliding?" <laughs> and then he sent me to uh, he the nerve the sensitive nervous system by David Butler, and that's yeah. when I really started diving into the nervous system. And then I took probably one of the first Rock Blades courses ever because uh, the Rock Blades came out, and then I went to one of the first ones um, in. Uh, Tucson and then that instructor told me that we're not working with the muscles of the body we're working with the nervous system and so yeah that's essentially when you are getting a tight muscle quote-unquote to release quote-unquote you are really just telling the nervous system that it's safe and then the nervous system releases it and yeah so, and and then I started uh went down the uh that why zebras don't get stress ulcers route
1: and then <laughs> started
0: realizing that the reason why a lot of my first responders that I have as clients are feeling a lot of pain is because they're under constant stress for 48 to 72 hours where yeah like literally the whole time and they're not getting any sleep and that screws everything up so the nervous
1: system is hugely
0: important and there's a lot to
1: unpack with that one. That's uh, such a really good point. Um, and what you had said in there too, is it, like, that's your approach. That's the approach right. you want to take. Um, if somebody doesn't want to go on a neurological path, we talk about, I talk about this a lot in the, uh, in the rock tape courses, whichever one it might be is like, you know, we uh, I guess the best word is debunk. You know, that can sound aggressive at times, but you know, we talk about, in our blades course, about the idea of releasing tissue, and we, we literally mean the, the mechanical deformation of fascia, and that's been debunked. it's It's been explained that that's not what we're doing, um, it's more of a neurological influence to get, get that palpable response. But the word release isn't what's wrong, it was just what we thought we were doing, right? So, use the word release, I don't care what you use, call it that because a lot of times you could associate it with someone just going. Oh, I felt that kind of give and give or release sounds very, very much the same. So, you know, how someone wants to go about doing it really does depend on their education and looking more into it, your education is going to ebb and flow throughout the years. You're going to find different things that you're going to do. I I practiced, you know, I I got out of school, chiropractic school, I got out of school almost nine years ago. Um, I started working in PT clinics in 2002, like I said. I'm not doing the same thing I did a decade ago. Um, I'm doing things very differently, but I still probably do a couple things that I've always done for a long time, whether it be my medical interview or, you know, certain orthopedic tests that I've always thought were valuable. Um, There's a lot of value in everything you learn. And even if it's something that you learned that it wasn't necessarily appropriate, that's, there's value in that as well.
0: Yep. And it's, I don't do stuff that I did, did three years ago. Like the, sure. I think um, the client, when they come in and they start telling me what they're, what's going on, I just sit there and I listen and then just keep asking, okay, what's really going on here? And yeah. so, you know, then you can go into like the emotional stress and emotional pain. And then that goes, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of poo poo behind that, but like, there's somebody that's like, I have neck pain. It won't go away. Yeah, And you start working on it, and you're like, okay, tell me what's going on. Well, then they start dumping all this stuff, and you then the neck starts to kind of loosen up and relax a little bit, and then the emotional uh, pain for, like, neck and shoulder stuff is carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. So basically, they're just overwhelmed, right? So then yeah. once they just start dumping all that stuff out to somebody who's willing to listen without judgment, then it, quote-unquote, releases, you know, and that they feel better,
1: And it's yeah, um, that goes along that goes a long way for explaining how um, interdisciplinary care is so important, right? Because I've struck out with patients all the time, and the unfortunate event is that I didn't at times have the ability to say, I'm not doing well with what I'm doing with you, I think we need to try this and be able to refer them over to a certain individual who does whatever this is i agree so yeah and, and i
0: think uh that's incredibly important is to be able to do that instead of uh, staying on the struggle bus with these people and then yeah you know but also really um educating them on sometimes it takes a while sometimes it's going to take three or four or five visits before we get this better And so that's one of the really important things that I learned um, from the FRC course with uh, Dr. Spina is, uh, you know, like what uh, we're talking about is primarily a neurological dysfunction somewhere in the body. And then that's when you're affecting it with tape or the blades and depending on what pressure you're using, that allows the nervous system to release that part of the body. And so... "Quote unquote" on that release word again, and then yeah. um, <laughs> because that's such a highly debated topic. But um, one of my favorite things that uh, Dr. Spina talks about is uh, change in tissues equals force over time. Yeah. And so, if it's a true soft tissue issue, then they're going to need to do multiple appointments and even do a lot of homework themselves in order to correct that. And so, yeah. the way that I explain that to them is like, "How did you get stronger?" Because for me. I did deadlifts for eight years and I got a really heavy deadlift. And so it took me eight years to get that, to put that stimulus into my body to get the changes that I wanted in order to adapt to that load. And so that's going to be the same thing where like if somebody has an Achilles tendon issue or a calf issue, you're going to have to address it and it's going to take force over time. And then that's going to fix the issue permanently. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, That is something I wish I had a way to teach students, you know, is everybody's so different. One of the hardest questions uh, for me to answer in seminar or in class is, well, how long will this particular modality or treatments last? And I don't have an answer for that. I don't know if there's an answer for that because in my mind there's too many variables right and this is something that it's hard for students to understand what i found i found it's hard for them to understand because they've been conditioned to think well there's a finite amount of treatment dates or there's something um there's a, a treatment plan that's supposed to be implemented and it's supposed to be this amount of time but everybody is so different And then when it comes to like one treatment, like people ask about the blades or the pods, it's like, well, how long will will the the result last? I can't answer that because I don't know. Because because number one, their physiology is different than everybody else's. Number two, their condition, their mentality about that condition is very different. Um, Three, and there's more, but I only have three. um, What they do outside of my office is going to affect that. Oh, there is a fourth one. I figured it out. What else am I doing? I'm never just taping someone. I'm never just using the tools. I'm never just using floss or pot. I'm always doing a lot, a few things at once. And a lot of that includes the homework they were mentioning with patients. They have to make sure that they're doing their homework as well too. So that's one thing I wish we could teach a little bit more, maybe get into the heads of students and seminar attendees is like, look, We can't tell you how long this is lasting, because I don't even know if you could make a research study that actually could determine that question, answer that question. I just don't think uh, it it can be done. I don't know for sure. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, But we have to understand that when someone's better, they're better. So I guess maybe more along the lines of our assessment and screening processes to tell us when someone is functioning better. I've been fortunate enough to learn good things that are helpful. And I've had patients that are done in one visit. I've had patients that are done in two, three visits. You know, One visit doesn't happen all the time. You know, that's when I pat myself on the back big time. But um, I've had patients that are only there for a handful of visits because that's just what they needed. But I've had patients that I've had more visits because that's just what they needed. And I think that's a big thing that needs to be taught in the school. um, On the school side of things is that don't expect everybody to absolutely have to have a three times a week for two weeks and then you break them down to two times a week for three weeks and then you break them down to one time a week for four weeks like you have to take into consideration that how someone's physiology how, how their cellular physiology is going to change over time and everybody is different too right so it really goes along of every you know the best way i answer that question when i get it in classes everybody's physiology is different i'm kind of assessing them as a new person every time i see them in right. my mind, that's that's what they are. I've treated them, hopefully they're better, but they could be worse. They're still different. So I have to treat them as different every time I see them, and we'll take it from there, you know. Not necessarily something you want to say to a patient, but <laughs> hey, how right. long will this take? I don't know.
0: <laughs> so and the way that I explain that to my patients is now the further in I get, the more I understand where my car mechanic's coming from when I call him and I'm like, well, I'm driving down the highway and then between 35 and 40 miles an hour, it starts to sputter and make this noise. What's going on in my car? He's like, I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> and so when people call me, I'm like, why does my low back hurt? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not following you around with binoculars saying that's it. Stop doing that thing. You know what I mean? So that's each time uh, my clients come in, I do a different assessment each time and figure out what it is this time because we're always doing different things. And so the, the bane of my existence is my CrossFit athletes. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to come in and I'm going to see you because my neck hurts. And then I'm going to go do a hundred kipping pull-ups. I'm like, cool. So I'll see you again next week, I guess. You know, yeah. like, athletes like,
1: are just like that. It's like, yeah. if I feel better, I'm going to do what I've, I've been wanting to do. And they right. might, I don't like taking people away from stuff, but there's certain things that it's like, you're not ready to do yet. Right. You know? So yeah, but yeah, you're
0: absolutely right. (laughs) Let's chill out for like a day, just a day. I'm not asking you to just, yeah, just not do, maybe do ring rows instead. I don't know. Like, let's figure out that whole thing. So then, um, and then you got to add like stress in the equation. Like how much are you working out compared to how much you're working? Like how's your, your family life going? Like how's your job? You know what I mean? A lot of people, I think a lot of their chronic pain would go away if they just quit that job that they hate, you know? But that's oh, like, gosh, yeah. That's one of the scariest things that you can tell people. It's just like that is what's screwing you up. Stop it, and then they're yeah. like, "Well, but then I'll be broke and I won't be able to eat." And I'm like, "Yeah, that is a problem. So don't exactly. stop it immediately. Maybe yeah. find something that you want, and then start applying for different things, and then yeah. start cutting that back a little bit. You know. So I don't know. It's a, uh... and then you know the CrossFit space is so uh, competitive. Um, internally to where they're just like well I have to do this extra stuff and I'm like well what's your overall goal because you're never going to be like that elite athlete because what you're you're um, comparing yourself to is like the 0.1% of all athletes on earth and so it's like you watching the Super Bowl and being like I'm going to do that next year no you're not you're probably not going (laughs) to go to the Super Bowl you know so Yeah. So then just, that's where like my coaching comes in is just trying to give people a realistic expectation of where they're at and where they could be. And so one of the things is like when somebody comes up and says, I need a muscle up, like you don't need one. You just want one because it's the sexy thing to do. So my question is, are you going to do CrossFit for the next two years and then quit? Or is this going to be your movement practice indefinitely? So if it's going to be your movement practice indefinitely, then you have time to work on the prerequisites for that muscle up. Sure. And then you'll eventually get it and then you'll be good.
1: You know what I mean? You don't need to be obsessed with, with getting muscle ups. Did you get any psycho psychology training in massage school? No.
0: So I did, uh, I did all my own research on that stuff. And so, um, one of my, uh, most important mentors. His name's Mitch Peretz. I interviewed him, um, a couple podcasts ago. If anybody hasn't listened to that, they should cause that guy's just, he's one of those people where you're just like, how do you know everything? It doesn't make yeah. any sense. So <laughs> I met him at, um, DNS level one or mm-hmm. exercise one. I'm sorry. And, uh, he's the one that introduced me to muscle testing, but I took my wife to him to see what was going on with her hip and her low back. And, um, I was talking to him about one of my clients and how she has this chronic neck pain that won't go away. And then he just said, well, I wonder which hand her dad hit her with? And I was like, what does that mean? Why did you even say that? And then he said, well, if it's chronic and it's not going away, then it's most likely emotional pain from a trauma based in her past. And whichever hand he hits him with is important because that's where the neck absorbed that impact. Oh, wow. And then I was like, what, does, what are you even saying? And then he said, so read all these different books. And I was like, okay. And then I went home and just obsessively read all that stuff, like uh, Rollo May and Eric Frome and uh, Joseph Campbell. And then most recently, like Jordan Peterson. Like he's one of those guys that I've been uh, really reading a lot. And so that's where I got a lot of my um, psychology stuff from, because I think that that's really important too. And then um, as as far as it pertains to um, the – Healing people, then uh, Dr. John Sarno, who uh, uh, Perry Nicholson talks about a lot with his uh, emotional pain. There, that was a really important book for me to read, also.
1: Yeah, I mean, I asked the question because I think that's so important, and that's something that I wish was more in in um, in, in musculoskeletal rehab schooling because it is huge now. We know that it's huge now. Like when when I was in school, we we didn't know that much. I actually had psychology classes, but we never discussed a lot about the biopsychosocial model, um, or at least uh, directly on that, you know, we talked about, you know, patient comfort and stuff like that, too. But we never really addressed it in its relationship to their condition. You know, if somebody has a poor work environment, they're not going to do as well in their rehab. And that's another thing that really, I wish was taught more than I would recommend people to get into. And it's a, that's a hard thing for somebody who's a you know, just a body mechanic. Uh, it's like, I don't want to get into like emotional stuff with people or anything like that. But if you have, and all everybody listening can think about a couple patients that they've struck out with, you know, consider their history. If you can remember a lot of it, there are some things in there you could have picked apart and been like, you know, this sounds like this has been around for quite some time, you know, right. or one great question I, I always like to ask patients is when you get stressed out, because you say stressed out and a patient to them it's unique. If you say stressed out to me, in my mind, I'm thinking about what stresses me out. In your mind, Jesse, you think about what stresses you out. And it's probably right. different. Right. So I like to say stressed out because they're going right to that thing or those things in their mind. So when you stress, when you get stressed out, does this start to get flared up? And again, yeah. this is chronic, chronic injuries, not traumatic or any acute stuff. Right. But like, does that flare up when you kind of get, you know, stressed out at work or wherever? And a lot of times the answer is going to be, yeah, it does. Actually, it gets worse, you know, when I'm at work and then you start taking it in that direction and with your interview and being like, okay, well, like, do you enjoy your job? What do you do at work? Um, et Etc. et cetera. And then, you know, maybe then you eventually start breaking into this person that they don't like at work, who's kind of toxic for their environment. So right. you could go down huge rabbit holes with that, but it actually is going to relate a ton to their physical condition.
0: Right. And so one of the biggest clues that uh, Dr. John Sarno speaks about is if the pain moves. And so yeah. if there, if it's the pains in the neck and you fix the neck, well, now I feel it here. Well, now I feel it here. Well, now I feel it here. So if you're chasing the pain around, then that's not what the problem is. And so the way that he explains it to uh, just the people that are listening, and I don't know if you've read any of his books or not, but he talks about how there's, uh, subconscious emotions that are so dangerous for the psyche to deal with that it just protects people and then manifests pain as a something else to distract them from dealing with that subconscious emotion. Does that make sense? And then so the yeah. way, the way that the brain does that is by making that uh, particular area hypoxic. So sucking blood and stuff out of that area. So then that creates pain. And so that's, typically how the pain jumps around is because, well, I don't want to deal with that emotion right now, so then I'm gonna deal with this pain symptom because it's easier. Sure. And so like the, the unfortunate example is like if somebody was raped, they don't want to think about that, so then low back pain's the easiest right? So then, and then, so that's just where that is. And so then once you kind of start to unpack it a little bit, then you can start to refer out, Hey, you need to go see this person about this or this trauma specialist or or whatever it is to figure this out, because I think this is what your real issue
1: is. I think a lot of that comes with good history taking. And, uh, you know, I, I can't speak for massage therapy school, but you know we are hammered in chiropractic school about good medical interviews talking to people and asking a lot of questions uh, I don't think there's such a thing as the right question but um, asking a lot of questions in the history so there, there's a lot that comes to just knowing someone's history
0: right and then um, yeah the, the massage school that I finished up at was uh, subpar best and so that's <laughs> <laughs> that's a uh, not they there was a lot to be uh desired uh from that and yeah yeah so um (laughs) um then the next thing i want to talk about which is also part of the nervous system and then a big part of your uh curriculum over at rock tape is the sensory input increases motor output i think that's really important also
1: yeah um that kind of goes back to assessment and treatment in my eyes is If I ask you to squat because that's how I'm going to assess you for this particular day or screen you for this particular day, uh, what am I asking? I'm asking the brain to show me output. I'm asking to see how you move, and that's all brain output. When I find something dysfunctional, what am I going to do to try to correct it? I'm going to uh, put a band on your body, or I'm going to put a pod uh, to decompress the tissue or use my blades to relax the tissue or provide, have tape on there. And all that's doing is providing input, sensory information. So, you know, movement is output and uh, treatment, hands-on approach is input. So we assess based on uh, output and we treat based on input and one complements the other. When we can provide good non-threatening input, we get good uh, appropriate, I guess you could say, output. Right. um that's kind of my thought process on that too and, and that's not outright you know said a lot uh too that had to uh come from you know years of toiling and trying to make things a little bit too complicated right um but that's that's kind of how i see it
0: right uh so one of the things like i've gone to three rock tape courses and hosted one and then it just took you know dr perry being like hey take the system I was like, what, tape the system, and then so, immediately the next day, I applied it to one of my problem clients, who has been having chronic knee pain when she runs, Yeah. and then I determined that it was the uh, lateral subsystem that stabilizes the hip. so then I had taped her adductors, taped her glute med, and then taped her opposite QL, sure. and that running dysfunction was gone, and I was like, shit, I've been wasting <laughs> so much time with this person, you know, so. Yeah. Um, and now one of the big ones that I tape a lot is um, is uh, the just the shoulder complex kind of in general. So people that have chronic neck pain, or uh, another one that's related is the the bicep tendon kind of popping out of its groove. Yeah. Um, so what I learned through DNS is that is a uh, scapular stability issue, and it's I was just gonna likely, say I was just right. going to say that <laughs> right, and so that is. Um, something where it's like a dysfunction somewhere in the serratus. And so what I do is I uh, tape the serratus and then I tape the upper part of the pec and then the trap and then everything is, the body's like, Oh, got it. Okay. Now I know what to do. And then it's not freaking out as much. And then that holds longer because the tape is on there for five to seven days where if I was just to do a little bit of sensory input with just the tools, it wouldn't be
1: lasting as long. Yeah. And I, I think you can uh, throw this in there with that is, you know, you can just have that thought process and then do something and then it makes a correction. It's okay to not know why um, right. I've said that to patients is like, I, I'm going to try something. And then when it works, they go, what did you do? I go, I, I don't really know, but yeah. I'm going to figure it out. Based on the result that we got, I can walk backwards and do it too. Right. So, yeah. Uh, you know, that's another thing to really try to instill upon students is you do have to think outside the box and, that almost contrasts with the foundational approaches you need to know a few things first before you can start thinking outside the box you need right. to know what the box is first right but keep in mind this is the box that we're going to talk about and then i want you to make sure that you don't stay in it all the time right. um so this uh it, it's, it starts to get complicated at that point is like how do you teach that and are you almost contradicting yourself sometimes as well too
0: Right, and then to level that up a little bit, well, one of my other uh, mentors, his name's John Porman. he um, said there is the box, like you're saying, and then thinking outside of the box is really important, but then eventually you get to the point where there is no box. and then yeah. So he said that to me, and I was like, what does that mean? So I had to yeah. meditate on that for like months, just being like, what is no box? And that's how I think that you create your own unique, niche in what you're doing so like you know like you're a different practitioner than this person than this person than this person because you've applied your own knowledge and done your own research and you're going the own direction and so that's kind of where I'm at where and I think that that's also very beneficial just kind of as a side note to uh, realize that there's no competition in because everybody's doing different things and everybody can help people in different ways and so competition's a negative emotion so I don't look at other massage therapists in Flagstaff as competition. I look at them as a different source for this person to go to if I'm not getting the job done. Yeah.
1: And that's such a great point is I, I think I did really feel like this when I got out is it was more about competing with other practitioners and getting patients and making sure I have a steady uh, list of patients coming in every single day. And, you know, people talked about, well, how many patients per week are you supposed to have and stuff like that? It doesn't matter. It's just, yeah. Are you, are you making a living? Are you doing something that you enjoy? And are you getting people better? And learning from everybody else, the other practitioners, is really important. It's not about competing because, again, like you said, you might not know something that someone else does. And what they know is going to help somebody. So be okay with sending them over there. You yeah. know, build a relationship with somebody of the same profession because they do a certain other concept or technique that, that yet you know is going to be very beneficial. You know, um, I can speak for just my knowledge of massage therapists. I know there's a lot of massage therapists that specialize in in lymphatic uh, therapy and some that don't. What if you discover as a, as a sports massage therapist that somebody needs to really get a good lymphatic uh, massage? Send them to somebody who does that because you don't.
0: Right.
1: You know, yeah. Do you run the risk of losing a patient? I guess sure, but I think you need to be okay with. Putting value in what you do so that the patient understands, like, look, I'm sending you to this person because there's a very specific thing I need you to do that I can't do. Right. But don't undermine what I'm already doing for you because I'm still helping you in the same sense. So, right. you know, I know it's a gray area, but it isn't everything right?
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brother Wood. Man, this was a really fun conversation. I really appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, I'm going to have to wrap this up. I got stuff to do, but and I'm, I imagine okay. you do as well. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate you.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me on again. I always enjoy the conversation. I do appreciate it a lot.
0: Absolutely, and we'll do it again in the future.
1: You got it. All right. Talk to you soon. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye.